As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics' dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsign with you Tuesday morning here, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. Tom Reed is with us. Good morning. And we have a special guest, Kevin Woodley, managing editor of In Goal Magazine. I think Kevin might know as much about goaltending as anybody uh, on this planet. Uh, you can follow his work at uh, on uh, Twitter at Kevin is in goal in goal magazine is in We'll repeat those before we let you go here. Uh, Kevin's worked for the Associated Press, USA Today, Hockey News. He's corresponding in Vancouver now for NHL.com. Um, we're going to dedicate, there's not much going on as you may have uh, figured out by now, not much going on in the hockey world. They are waiting for uh, the dreaded pandemic to move along such that they can resume playing games. We're going to dedicate uh, this entire podcast, one of the really big issues with the Blue Jackets, and that is goaltending. Um, and so we, we want to look at what this league might have in store this summer. I think it's going to be a chaotic uh, summer of musical chairs whenever the uh, the offseason is able to begin. Uh, we'll look at recent trades that, that may give us an, an insight as to what the Blue Jackets can expect. Uh, but we want to go uh, heavy with Kevin here. Uh, taking a hard look at the Blue Jackets goaltenders, uh, Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. I appreciate the kind introductions. Uh, first off, my beer league team would heavily disagree on <laughs> your evaluation of my uh, goaltending expertise, at least when it comes to performing. Second of all, I got to be honest, like the only reason that I get to talk like I know what I'm talking about is because all goalie coaches around the league have been so kind over the years to sort of share their expertise. So the true experts are the guys directing uh, 
the guys that are stopping, they just let me pick their brain often enough that I can pass for one. That's the truth. And that kind of goes for like all of us, right? I mean, we are, uh, we are lucky to have the access we do and, and, uh, nobody really wants to hear what, what Aaron Portsign, Tom Reed think about blue jackets forwards. You go ask the, the athletes to illuminate the situations for you. Allison, of course, has played this great game. I won't speak for her. She may be in a different level uh, than the people present. Um, Kevin, I'm looking at the goaltending market now. A, I've got a ton of time, ton of time on my hand. That I, I, I'm sick of being in the basement. So I'm looking hard at the goaltending market. And I'm. it looks like it's going to be chaotic this summer. Like, I don't remember this many... Uh, names being available. I don't remember this many teams sort of looking to change up their their situation and goal. Is that am I right to say that, or is that, am I just paying more attention to it? If you can look forward and forecast how crazy the summer may be. No, I mean every summer is a game of musical chairs for the goaltenders, and you got to be careful. Um, overplay your hand, and you can quickly get left without a seat. I think the the biggest uh, or the most obvious example that was years ago when Thomas Vokun went looking for a big contract and ended up settling for I think it was a million and a half in Washington in a one-year deal because everybody yep. grabbed a chair and he didn't have one. I could see something similar to that happen this summer. I agree with you. It's it is the most chaotic or was set to be the most chaotic game of musical chairs. Obviously, guys could have maybe re-signed uh, in some of the spots before they hit the open market. I think of Jacob Markstrom here in Vancouver who was having a hell of a season. Um, before, uh, before the season paused, I was going to say ended, but paused for now. Um, yeah, there's just so many names out there, right? Like uh, Braden Holtby, Stanley Cup winner, Vesna Trophy right. winner, a bit of a down season. Um, how does his situation change if he doesn't have a chance to go into a playoffs and show that he's still that guy? Uh, Robin Lehner, yep. who has proven over the past two seasons, he can do it any which way you want. You want him to play behind a great defensive team, he can go technical, square, play a real conservative game and be effective like he was for the New York Islanders. You throw him into a chance trading system with lots of odd man rushes like Chicago, and he actually, not only can he perform well in a different environment, which is one of the great questions when you try and evaluate goaltenders and unrestricted free agency, not just is he good, but does he fit? Laner's proven now in, in Chicago and with the move to Vegas, he can play in any way. He started throwing out pad stacks and being more aggressive and talked to me this year about how he changed his mindset and became less technical behind a team that gave up more chances and how he needed to. So get names like that. Corey Crawford was having a heck of a season with the Blackhawks as well. Yep. Um, there are just so many names out there. And then you add in this, this push now suddenly from, from young guys like Merz Lickens there. Um, in Columbus, like a Shishterkin in New York. And I just think like mm -hmm. it, it's, it's as unpredictable a market. It was set to be as unpredictable a market as maybe we've ever had this summer. And it's even more so now because we're not maybe going to get to see how everybody finishes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the locals here. Corpusalo, Merzlikens. You've seen more, as, as most people, I think you've seen more of Corpus Allo than you have of Elvis Merzlikens. Your thoughts on those two. Are you convinced both of those two, Kevin, are number ones? And if you have to pick one, yes, I'm putting you on the spot. Who, which of those two do you keep as your long-term franchise goaltender? Well, there's one thing I've learned. It's to be careful 
about who you project to be a number one goaltender. Until you've mm-hmm. done it, you haven't done it. And it's, it changes. It really does. We saw this with Corpus Allo earlier this season, right? Like, I love his skill set. There are elements of his skill set, especially in terms of his patience on his edges and the ability to hold edges without committing to his knees prematurely, um, that I think fit today's NHL, like better than some other goaltenders. Um, but again, it's one thing to be a backup and to play every once in a while and have all that time with your goaltending coach. It's a whole different thing to be the guy night in, night out, to have to manage your rest as well as managing your game, to not be able to spend that extra time before practice working on, you know, maybe some sloppiness in your post integration you want to tighten up because you got to worry about having enough energy to get through practice and get through a game two nights or, or, or the next night. It, it really is, it, it's tough to project and usually there's steps that have to be taken to get there. I mean, you know, we're talking on Tuesday. Yesterday, Eddie Lack retired, and uh, and obviously most would know him from his time here in Vancouver. Um, sure. There's a guy I picked that I th- thought could be a number one because he had a 922. He's the last Canuck goaltender to lead the Canucks to the playoffs. He had a 922 in that stretch. And when I broke down his game, it was just full of it was full of holes and inefficiencies, frankly. But I knew Eddie. Um, and I knew the work that he had intended and what had planned on putting in to tighten up those technical elements that were too loose to become more efficient. So I sat back and I said, well, my God, he had a 922 with all this inefficiency. What's he going to be like when we fix all these things? Like he's going to be even better. And I had all these people in the summer. Uh, he was at camps that I was at. Working with, actually, to be honest, facilitated some of the relationships that he built to, to make those steps um, working with coaches that I know up in Kelowna. We had other NHL goalies coming up to me on the sidelines while he's on the ice going, holy crap, I can't believe how much better he looks. So I made some pretty bold predictions that I thought he would be a number one goaltender in the NHL. How does that look now? <laughs> so well, you that's know. a tough one. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough one to predict. But um, And I love that. Yeah. So that's, I don't mean that to be a diss, but um, you know, I, it really is tough. And so you know, there are people making a lot more money than me that are charged with this at the National Hockey League level, and they still get it wrong. What I would say is that when I'm comparing the two, as much as I love Corpus Allo's, um, that patience I talked about holding the edges, I might hedge toward Merzlikens because of the dynamic elements of his game, especially moving laterally. The game has become so fast east-west, and his combination of explosiveness both on the skates uh, and when he needs to, to move laterally on his knees um, at a time when the game is becoming asking more and more of that out of their goaltenders, that might be where I hedge towards him. At the same time, all of his results so far have become have come um, without the benefit of sort of the deep pre-scout. That's the other thing that changes is you get further and further into this mm. league yeah, yeah. and more into that number one role. Like teams aren't going to school on you. Bully coaches do it. They do the work, right? They, they've got a they've got a really good pre and really good feel for everyone and they present that when in a one out of 82 or two or three for division rivals at 82 you might see a guy and less than that if it's a guy in a backup role your forwards aren't paying that deep of attention um you get into a playoff as a starter you start being a number one for a couple of years and all of a sudden guys start to pay attention to those pre-scouts and start to go to school on some of those tendencies and if you have any that are sort of obvious they start to get exploited as word starts to get out and other people start to see teams have success trying to go after you in certain areas. So, um, but it, again, that's 
I love not. I mean, I'm staying so hard on the fence here; it hurts my ass. But um, <laughs> I, I love Merzlikens' athleticism, explosiveness. Watching him here in Vancouver, right before uh, the pause, the number of times he beat plays on his skates, and not just beat them laterally across the ice, but beat them and made that push to get out, heels out above the top of the blue paint. Um, he was hard not to be impressed with the the power and control in his movement and hard not to think that that bodes well. He's having all success already. That that doesn't bode well as a, as a foundation and a staple for success long-term. We're speaking with Kevin Woodley of Ingle Magazine. And Kevin, one of the theories that's out there in a lot of other sports is load management, right? Like controlling how much time, particularly your key players play so that they're better in the postseason down the stretch. And there is a theory that if Columbus moves forward with both Corpusalo and Merzlikens, what does the split of time look like for those two? But as you mentioned, you know, we didn't see a lot of Corpusalo before, and we always hear how when goaltenders play more frequently, they get better. They like the repetition of it, and we saw that with Corpusalo here. Do you think that splitting the net is truly a, a, a solid strategy for goaltending, or does there still need to be an advantage given to whomever is the starting goaltender in terms of playing time? Well, I think it's not just, you know, Corpus out. Like, like Merzlikin struggles earlier this season talking to people that knew him and that he reached out to during that process in the goaltending world, former coaches and stuff. Um, his struggles earlier this year were, were largely about not playing, mm-hmm. at least in terms of his own. So, so it, it, you know, it's not ideal to sit there, right, especially if you're a guy like him who's used to being a number one. I guess in, it, it really does depend on what you have. Like in a perfect world, you are easing the load on both guys. In a perfect world, is that an even split or, or a bit of a balance one to the other? But it's, we don't always operate in that, that way, whether it's because you can't afford to have two good guys because one guy gets too expensive. He, he hits a contract status where he prices himself out of the ability to afford the other one. You end up in like a situation like Montreal where you know, they have to ride Carey Price into the ground because they just can't afford, with his salary, an option behind him that, that can do the job at anywhere near the same level. So I would say as long as you can keep them both and afford them on both contracts, uh, on reasonable contracts, you, you try and find that balance. It's up to each guy to sort of be able to perform at a high level so that he doesn't start to lose starts. And I've, I've always kind of, I've always got, you know what, Ron Wilson did this. I don't know if you, if any of you remembers. Ron Wilson did this with the San Jose Sharks, and this is how long I've got to go back. But Vesatoskla was in his prime with with Evgeny Nabokov. Yeah. They both played very similar games, and Ron got all the way into March, literally playing one guy and then the other, hmm. one after the other. Every goalie wants to play every night. Right. Yep. So. And, and if you introduce, this is the one I hate. Head coaches love to go, well, you know, win and you're in. What a stupid thing to do. Sorry. <laughs> There's enough pressure on this position, as is. Win and you're in. All that creates is added layers of needless pressure. If you've got two good guys, play two good guys. Win and you're in means the guy who's in there is thinking about, man, like, I don't care if I play good. If I don't win, I might not get the net back. And if the other guy wins, I might be out sitting on my butt for two weeks. Like it just, it's, it's a total, it's just kind of needless. I'd rather see guys go back and forth because yeah, everybody wants to be in every night because of that rhythm that you talked about, Allison, where everyone, they feel better when they play more. Well, it may not be a perfect world to play every other game, 
but it's a hell of a lot better than playing once and sitting for four. Like right. that's the right. closest rather than playing every game. The, the next best thing to me is every second night. And if you've got two guys that are good enough to sustain that, I, I mean, it's probably a pipe dream to say this will ever happen, but to me, that's, that's the next best alternative. If you really do have guys that are as closely matched, like the Sharks did that year, because Toskala and Abakov were really evenly matched, and they both played well. Like I said, I think it was March when Vesa uh, had a groin injury and, and Nabby took over right through the stretch. Um, we've even seen it in the playoffs it's a long time ago, but in the American Hockey League, uh, I'm trying to remember the year, but I think it was Binghamton that, that the Devils, or it was the Devils the farm team, that basically alternated back and forth Every other night, they switch starts all the way to a Calder Cup championship. I don't think we'll ever see that in the NHL. Nobody's brave enough. <laughs> but if you really have two evenly matched guys, I don't see why you can't go the Ron Wilson route in regular season at least. The thing is, it's going to be tough because a guy, especially a guy like Merzlikens, he can be so spectacular. And as a coach, and how you sit that out when he goes out and steals wins for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've had, again, these two young goaltenders that we've been able to watch in Columbus. And I know you had uh, their goaltending coach, Manny Legacy, on the Ingle podcast when he was out there in Vancouver. What what can you share with us about what the relationship is like between a goaltending coach and his goalies? Like how much of an impact can you make on a player's game and how much of an impact do you want to make on a, a player's game, particularly at that position? Well, I think it varies, right? Like, in, And goaltenders, I mean, they're formed not just by the relationship that they have with the goalie coach right now, but with relationships um, that they've had with goalie coaches throughout their career. Like we, we know Merzlikens working with Michael Lawrence, a Canadian goalie mm-hmm. coach who was over in the Swiss League. Um, we know that Corpusalo, you know, had Ian Clark there before, and Ian Clark's more of a, you know, probably a harder line taskmaster in terms of, uh, what he demands out of his goaltenders it works for some, not for others. But obviously, a pretty good track record of success. I would point obviously to to Markstrom right now and and the year he's having uh, with Ian Clark here in Vancouver. So you, you sort of have all that history that goes into what you are as a goaltender. I think the best relationships are both. They're personal. You know, you're part-time sports psychologist. You have to know <laughs> these guys, and this is the part that I've really come to appreciate over the years. Is, I can pick apart the technical. I can look at video. I can tell you what works and what doesn't work, or at least what's what's efficient and what's non-efficient um, in a goaltender's game. I can't go between their ears. And I, over the years, I've come to appreciate more and more the importance of that in a goaltending coach. Um, and talking to Manny for the Ingle Radio podcast, he was great. Um, you really get the sense of that relationship-building aspect. Dusty Emu is another guy who has really driven – home to me the importance of that of course he was he was over in the khl this year but um formerly with the kings and with the winnipeg jets in a development role for both teams and a guy who played a huge part in connor hellebuck's development um jack campbell going from you know kind of a bust high draft pick to uh you know a guy who's had success now in the nhl basically resurrecting his career cal peterson another kid that uh is going to have i think going to have a great nhl career and with Dusty, he talks. He doesn't touch the technical elements until he's won their trust as, as sort of that partnership of goalie, goalie, coach. So it is like the, a lot of it. You can like it would be ignorant to say that the technical doesn't matter either. Um, I do know some goalie coaches in the NHL right now who, who just just look at 
um, sort of that relationship aspect and, and figure that once these guys arrive, they've got all their technique built in. I don't need to change any of that. But I think the game and the position evolves so continuously that that's a mistake too. So um, it's a balance. Uh, it's a balance that every goalie coach sort of like there's that between technique and, and sort of the, the relationship and, and managing the person versus managing his game. Everybody's got sort of a sliding scale where they sit on that. Uh, and to me, the best ones have both. Uh, and, and I was impressed with Manny uh, as a guy I know who's gone to school on the technical elements, but also seems very big on the relationship building side of it. So uh, the guys there appear to be in pretty good hands. Uh, we're speaking with Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine. Kevin, just let's, uh, we're hitting heavy here on the Blue Jackets. Let's stay in the Metro Division. And when you look around the division uh, in the goaltending situations, there seems like a, you know, a neck going toward next year when you handicap uh, who's going to be in goal in some of these situations you, know, you see in Pittsburgh you saw a lot of net sharing in New York here we've seen a lot of net sharing there's maybe some uncertainty as you mentioned with Washington what do you what do you project here next season for some of these teams in the Metro division besides the Blue Jackets that's a good question and I think New York's obviously the big question mark right um, you know I, I always assumed, I think like a lot of people, that Henrik Lundqvist would finish his career there. And while they've paid lip service in New York to respecting him, I would argue that there are times this season that what they've actually done doesn't really match that. And I get it. Uh, in Shesterkin, you have, I mean, that kid, I talked about the lateral movement and the power of, of Merzlikens. All those elements are there uh, with Shesterkin. And Georgiev is a kid who I think is like he's got number one upside and at worst probably slots in and has proven an ability to do this to slot in as a real positive, like positive goal differential above average 1B. So if we're talking about a world where you want to have, you got to make sure you have both your options open. Boy, imagine if you're the Rangers and you can have both these guys, you know, on team-friendly controlled contracts for the next few years. That's ideal. The problem is you owe Lundqvist eight and a half, and he's a franchise icon. So I honestly don't know how they get out of that. I think the way they've handled him in the past few months has certainly, without saying it publicly, appears to be, I wouldn't say pushing him out a door, but maybe making it easier for him to make a decision to open that door on leaving this summer. And I'll tell you this, because I saw a lot of this at the trade deadline, and frankly, pissed me off to no end. Um, maybe because Henrik has been so, and I got it, this is the bias, right, of running a goalie magazine <laughs> and getting to know the relationships and getting to know them as people. Um, Henrik has been great to us. So he's a guy that would return emails. And even when he was a star and in his prime, would, would you know, you dropped him a note on an email in the summer and he would answer a couple questions for you. So maybe I'm biased that way. But when I looked at his numbers through ClearSight Analytics, um, it wasn't just me. Uh, he was top seven in the NHL in terms of his performance relative to his environment, outperforming his defensive environment. And it's a pretty crappy defensive environment with the Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But he outperformed that significantly until they went to the three-goalie system. Like right through, there were ups and downs. And 37-year-old Henrik Lundqvist is not going to be able to play every night like he did in his prime. But through those ups and downs, when you added it all up, it was top seven in the NHL. And so we get to the trade deadline. That was before they went to the three goalie rotation and basically started leaving him on the bench to rot. And, he, and, and after an entire career of starting, you talk about guys struggling, not playing. 
the guys that play a lot are going to have the biggest adjustment not playing as often. Pecorine in Nashville this year is a perfect example of that as well. Um, so to expect Lundqvist to keep it up is unfair, but when he was playing on a regular basis, he was playing at a very high level. And so when I got to the trade deadline, I saw all these shows talking about he's, he's done, he's finished, he's not the same Henrik Lundqvist because his raw numbers were, what, 905, 906 save percentage. That's crap. When you adjusted for the environment, he was still performing at a very high level. Long-winded answer, I don't know where he goes, but something <laughs> has to change there. The Devils, everyone says, like, this unrestricted free agent market that you talked about, Aaron, at the beginning, like all yeah. these names, who's, buy, who's buying? Who's got cap space and who's willing to do, as the Panthers did last year, sign a guy to a big-ticket contract? A lot of people say New Jersey because they need goaltending and they got cap space. I'm telling you what, Mackenzie Blackwood is the real deal. Yeah, right, that's Would you put guy. a ceiling? Yeah, yeah would, would you sign anybody off the free agent market that's going to put a ceiling on him for, for even a year, yeah. let alone two or three? So uh, Islanders, I think we all expect Sorokin to come over and play with Varlamov. Carolina is another team that everyone's like, oh, they got to upgrade their goaltending. They need to get a fix. They're locked into Reimer, who, again, um, has been pretty darn good, not in that elite level, but well above average. Mrazek near the bottom of the league when you adjust the numbers. They're locked into that tandem for eight and a half next year. Pittsburgh is much like Columbus. They got two RFAs and they got to make a decision. Philly's Carter Hart show for, for as long as he wants it. And Washington, I could see Holtby returning there on a team-friendly deal to work with some Sonoff on a short term. So there, I, I started with a long-winded answer, but <laughs> actually managed to wrap up the rest of the Metro in, in, in short order. And if All you right, guys Kevin, have figured out, long-winded is something I do well. That's fine. We, we, we love it. So let, let's ask you another question about Elvis Merzlikens and Shishkirkin. I'm What interests me is these guys have some similarities you've mentioned already in their game, but also they're, I think they're in the same draft class, and they took, kind of took a similar route over the, into the NHL as as – in the fact that they made those teams wait, right? They stayed a couple extra years. What do you see in those two guys? Oh, like from a skill set standpoint, again, it's that ability to beat, like explosive, but in controlled lateral movement on the skates. Um, This is not a league where you can get away with sliding anymore. Tuka Rask, uh, frankly, would be one of my Vesna finalists this year. He'd probably finish second on my ballot behind Connor Hellebuck and Markstrom right up there with them. Um, plays behind a great defensive environment, but outperforms it. One of the biggest things when you talk to Bob Essenza and you start to look at the tape and look at the film, one of the biggest things for Tuke, he's always been a great skater, but he now beats plays on, he doesn't default to sliding across on his knees like he used to. He's using that skating and beating plays on his skates. Um, Shishterkin does that explosively. Uh, and, and when you're able to move that quickly and that under control and not just not just explode across but arrive square and set not get there and then have to have to rotate and build your angle and get into your set their ability to do that it buys them more time it gives them a bigger margin for error that guys than guys that aren't as fast and in Shesterkin's case it is a perfect fit for the goalie coach there Benoit Lair with the Rangers who you know legendary goalie coach big part of completely redoing Henrik Lundqvist people when he came from Sweden he'd look nothing like what he looks like now um, and his whole philosophy you talk to goalies who play for him uh, under Benny is always uh, beat the pass solve the equation with a much thicker French accent <laughs> question <laughs> answer and so Shishterkin fits that mold perfectly um, Manny may not be 
putting it the same way as Benny does in New York. But in terms of skill set and explosiveness and ability to beat plays on their skates, the game is so lateral now uh, for goaltenders. And, and those guys both have this, this foundation, this underlying skill set that allows them to succeed in that environment. And that's, that's, the, that's the other thing. Like, this is why when it comes to unrestricted free agency and signing guys this summer, like at the risk of having the goalie union come and pull the card out of my wallet, I am not going term on any of these guys. Term is the one thing I avoid at all costs as a general manager. Not because I don't, tr- not because I think they're voodoo. Not because um, I don't trust uh, my team's ability to evaluate a goaltender's uh, skills and ability, but because the game changes. Because what is successful for one goaltender one year within two or three years as the offenses evolve, that that the the strength that he had three years ago may no longer it may still be there, but it may no longer be a strength against the attacks and. We talk about analytics um, to me and, and getting a peek under the hood at clear sight. I'm seeing some of the public models that they see the expected don't match the results. And I think a lot of that is because teams that have access to the proprietary stuff are creating attacks that aren't measured in the public data. In other words, there are more lateral plays and attacks happening now and those elements aren't measured. And so some of those models don't catch it. This model is catching it. But goaltenders that can't beat those plays and beat those lateral attacks aren't having success. So, again, long-winded, but the point being, both Shesterkin, both Elvis have that ability to beat those plays on their feet, arrive set, arrive square, and that's just, it's a margin for error. The sooner they get their set and square, the faster they get there than somebody else, the sooner they're able to react to another pass going across the other way. It's It just kind of all builds up, and... It really is as simple as that, that, that speed and skating ability. Shishterkin, that, that's, a, that's a pretty predominant uh, Russian uh, skill set. That's one of the reasons you see NHL teams chasing Russian goaltenders right now. Um, these kids haven't been, at least not yet, it'll, it'll change here soon. Um, because as soon as everyone flocks to, ru- to a country to look for goaltending, the goalie coaches flock there to make money off the young goaltenders and usually end up, making them too technical but in russia a lot of these kids they haven't had overstructured technique at too young an age so it's old school drills and i've had this conversation with georgiev he used to used to skate him as a kid for two hours without even seeing a shot or seeing a puck he wanted to go home and cry old school vladislav trechiak drills but guess what these kids can all skate they can all move they can all beat plays in their on their feet and then you get as they get older Georgiev goes to Finland, develops his technical game in summer summer camps there, uh, with actually with another Columbus Blue Jacket former goaltender, right. Freddie Freddie Noranna, to drop yeah, that name right. for your for your listeners. Um, th- these guys here in North America sometimes we we coach some of that raw skill out of them at too young an age, and so both of these guys have sort of grown up and learned how to. They're dynamic, but they've learned how to read the game on their own, and then they've had this technique added later by as they get older by by more, um, I'd say, refined goaltending coaches at higher levels, and that that's kind of what you see right now is just two guys that, you know, to go back to the cliche, they're explosive and they beat plays on their feet all the time. Kevin, following up on that, you know, I feel like people like me and and even the average fan, we just do a terrible job 
really understanding the position of goaltending. And it's, you know, did they stop the puck? Didn't they stop the puck? And I've had long conversations with Kat as well about, to your point, how the current data we have publicly doesn't do a good job. What are what are key things that people like myself or our listeners should really start to think about when they really want to evaluate and understand goaltending? Well, I see, I think it's not and that's the one thing I want to be careful of here, because it's not anti-analytics in any sure, way, shape, sure, or form. Sure, sure, of course, of course. Because I think the people that are evaluating goaltenders using, like, some of the stuff that, that people have come up with, like, it's brilliant. And it far outweighs my abilities. Um, and every, every stat that they come up with, the expected goal models, the save percentage difference, a uh, delta save percentage and things like that, that is all incredible information that adds context to the conversation that did not previously exist. It has great value. I just think there are limits mm -hmm. when it's reliant on the public play-by-play -play data. And I think there are key elements that as a goaltender you understand make a play harder just based on whether it's having conversations with goalies or playing the position that aren't measured in those mm -hmm. elements. Mm -hmm. And when we see a company like ClearSight measure them, we see some of those differences. And I mean, the easiest one for, for your average fan to understand is if I get a, if, if a guy's coming straight at me from say the top of the faceoff circle and my team limits him to a straight line coming at me on an attack. If I understand basic geometry and I'm at the edge of my crease and I have the patience not to retreat too much, the closer he, that puck gets to me along the ice, the less net there is behind me. In other words, the closer he gets, the bigger, the more of the net I actually take up. As long as it's in a straight line and he can't open me up or make me move. Now, I'm facing him to my, on my, let's say my left dot. Let's say left circle, left dot. If he moves that puck, so it's a two-on-one, and he comes straight at me, I actually gain an advantage the closer he gets. Unless it becomes pure breakaway and then it's, it's, there's a, more dynamics to that. But the net he has to shoot out should actually shoot at should actually be getting smaller. Now, if he moves that puck across the ice to the opposite face-off circle, just physically as a goaltender, I have to make a complete 180-degree adjustment. Forget the space I have to cover to get to the other side of my crease. The less aggressive I am positionally, the shorter that space is. But I still have to completely rotate my body 180 degrees, make a push, arrive square my body at the new s spot, get set, and get ready for that shot. That is more complex. Two shots from the dot, the one coming straight at me is no problem. Well, I shouldn't say no problem, but it's a <laughs> hell of a lot easier than the one that's on a one tee after that puck's been moved from dot to dot. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of context that doesn't exist at all in play-by-play -play data that, that a lot of the public analysis is based on. As far as what do you look for and how do you measure it, see, I think that's the problem is it's impossible. I, like, unless you're tracking every shot to be able to contextualize everything across the board like a, a private company like ClearSight does, like, you know, how do you do that? Like, does it feel like one team gives up more? I'll give you any, there are a lot of narratives out there where you're like, the narrative is this team's great defensively and I look at the math or I look at Clear, I shouldn't say I look at the math, I, I, ClearSight <laughs> looks at all the shots and I get to... I get access to it, and it's like Jordan Binnington, for example. Um, you know, the, what's, the, what's the narrative? The Blues are a great defensive team. Jordan Binnington's outperforming his environment. He's fourth best in the NHL, 16.22 goals saved above expected based on that. The only guys ahead of him are Tuca, 
Jacob Markstrom, and Connor Hellebuck. Like that's, that's not what the narrative tells me about Jordan Bennington. A lot of people talk about him being a product of that environment defensively. But when you get to see all that data added up, and it's not just pre-shot movement, um, even some of the AI-based uh, tracking, one thing it doesn't typically account for is screens and hmm. traffic because, of, because you, you can't really measure those elements in terms of the way it tracks the play is my understanding. That's one of the reasons the NHL was looking at doing both um, or mixing in various elements. So that's another one that matters. I've seen, I saw a, an analysis of Devin Dubnik a couple of seasons ago. And in the analysis, it used public data to say that this shot from the point should only go in 1% of the time or 1.1% of the time. And on Devin, it's going in this amount of the time. So these are low danger shots that are beating him frequently. And even though his, at the time, obviously a tough season this year, but at the time he actually had excellent numbers, but the argument was these are soft goals he shouldn't be given up. Then the example they cited with video was a shot from the point that came through four bodies <laughs> and appeared magically right in front of him as it was going by his left ear. That's not a 1.1% shot. So I checked with ClearSight, and it was what they would label a layered screen. Mm. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the percentage was, Allison, but it was more like 13 or 15% in that range. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if one data set says it's a 1% or 1.5%, and the other one says it's a 13 to 15%, that's a discrepancy that I think is too big to be ignored. And as a goalie watching that play, like common, I would hope that common sense to anyone watching that would play would be that's not a one percent shot. As a goalie, I know it's not. Those are your worst nightmares, right? There's three or four guys in front of you. You fight for sight lines. You can't see it, and all of a sudden, not only does it appear three feet in front of you, but it appears and it's headed over your shoulder because you're going down because you're taught to take away the bottom of the ice and make yourself big. You're not in a reactive state. Now there are probably still people and. <clears throat> a couple of NHL head coaches that might look at that film and say he should have had that. Um, talk to any goalie in the league and they'll tell you a different story. Kevin, I want to go through a couple. I've, pu- I've parsed a couple of trades here, goaltender trades, um, just sort of seeing what is, and I know the market changes every year. There's variables uh, to all of this, but some interesting goaltender trades the last few years. You would have been right there. Uh, God, I can't believe it's been almost seven years ago now that Corey Schneider was traded uh, to New Jersey for not for the top not for a number nine overall pick, which turned into Bo Horvat. The Blue Jackets would kill for a trade like that. I'm not sure if they can get it for a couple of reasons. I think draft picks are are more valuable now, certainly that high. Um, but I don't think the Blue Jackets have fostered. Either of these guys, you could argue they did Corpusalo, but none of them, neither of them yet, have built up the sort of um, number one assuredness, if you will, that Corey Schneider did. Another one that jumps off the page to me is Freddie Anderson in 2016. Um, he had some just sterling numbers with the Ducks, was traded to Toronto for a first round draft pick that year and a second round draft pick, uh, draft pick the next. And a curious one the year before that, Boston traded Martin Jones to San Jose for a first-round draft pick. And this is a local kid people will recognize, Sean Corrali. That's a pretty damn good trade, too. 
Where do you, if you're the Blue Jackets right now, I'm asking you to put on Yarmo Kekalainen's stylish hat. Um, is this the time? And and, and I, this feeling I get is if they get the right offer, it's the time. If they don't get the right offer, it's not the time. But where is peak, where will peak trading time be for the Blue Jackets with regard to one of these guys? Like I think they believe in both of these guys ability i don't think they feel like anything that's happened this season is a flash in the pan corpus is an all-star uh, merzlikens was playing like like a vezina trophy winner in in brief time in, in uh, december and january how how much longer should they foster this or may they have to foster this before it's peak time to move one of these guys it may not be this summer with with the crowded market we've talked about but when might that be i think the longer the sample size is because that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what provides a, a, a deeper state of assurance that, that you trust a guy is going to be that guy, that number one guy, whether it's like I talked about before, Eddie Lack or Scott, uh, Scott Darling, right? Like think of how good Scott Darling looked with Chicago. Um, I just think the longer and, and trades like that, that don't work out elsewhere uh, tend to, continue to sort of water down the market in terms of GMs not being willing to take the same risks that they were in those trades you mentioned, Aaron. Like um, Those are pretty high prices when you think about what that market would probably bear now. So uh, the short answer is that the longer you allow either of these guys to show themselves to be, in Corpus Allo's case, an all-star, in Merzlecken's case, you know, a, a you know, potential world beater who you know, can lead a team on a run like he did earlier this season. Um, that's, you know, the, the more you show of that, uh, you would think the better the market becomes. And yet, you know, as we continue to see things like this summer, who's to say the next summer isn't another one where we're looking at a crowded market? I mean, at the end of the day, and this will suck for Blue Jackets fans to hear, because I think they probably have the deepest, like, like I wasn't stressed at all when, when, when Bob left knew he was leaving anyways, but I wasn't stressed for Columbus at all because of how deep their prospect pool was. And that's a real positive and it goes beyond these two guys. But the other side of that is realizing that, you know, like look at the Kings, they cultivated all these goalie prospects into trades, but not a, not a lot of huge trades, right? Like even the Jones deal you mentioned, he was a King, but they had to go through a third team. It was Boston. that got the first rounder. Um, not, not, not the Kings that recuperated the best asset in that trade. So banking on guys to provide value and trade when it comes to this goaltending market, it's a tough thing to do. You have to have some courage. So if you really believe in Corpus Salo and Merzlikens comes out next season and has another tear at the beginning and you have the courage to trade a guy who looks that good, you're probably going to get higher value for him if you trust that Corpus Allo is what a lot of us in the goaltending world think he can be, which is a really good number one goaltender. And you also believe in the guys you still have even below him coming up. I mean, you know, and it's, it's a deep list, but even Tarasov's a guy that I've always mm-hmm. been a big fan of yeah. as well. And I know there are other names on that list as well. Yeah. That was actually you're, you led perfectly the great segue, Kevin, I was just going to ask you about Tarasov. You mentioned the young Russian goaltenders earlier. Um, he is I, the Blue Jackets consider him to be, along with Kirill 
uh, Marchenkov, a forward, they consider him to be their their top prospect right now. What have you seen about him? What is the projection for him? He's coming to North America next season. He would be here right now, most likely, if we, we hadn't been interrupted by uh, this pandemic. As soon as their season in Russia ended this year, they were going to bring him over. Uh, so he could be in Cleveland, Cleveland right now under normal circumstances. Uh, they think he's close. Tell me about his game and what you project of Daniil Tarasov. Well, there's one thing that I don't like to do about goaltenders. It's talk out of my ass. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really feel like when I talk about guys, it's because I've done some work. I've looked at the numbers. I've, I've, I've taken a look at the film and tried to break things down. Um, so when I talk about Corpus Allo's patience on his skates and Merzlikens' explosiveness, it's, you know, yeah. it's talking to other people and having a look. In Tarasov's case, I've got to be perfectly upfront. I haven't had as much of a look in person as I would have liked. Uh, in part because he, he didn't get that here in Vancouver at the World Juniors. Um, the kid that Carolina drafted ended up playing playing ahead of him, which surprised me. Um, the, the comparison, though, I do have a lot of contacts in sort of goaltending circles that have connections in Russia, so I did ask them. And the comparison I get is Pekka Rinne in his prime, but with a more refined technical game than Pekka had at that age, like significantly than what he had at that age. And that's, I know people think of Pekka Rene right now, and it might not be the same, you know, it might not be the same shine on that name, um, but Pekka in his prime was one of the best. And so he has awesome. that yeah. that size, but also that that athletic ability. The one thing that Tekka, Pekka always sort of, and I won't even say struggled with, but the one balance that was always, something they tried to find in Nashville was between using that size efficiently from a just close holes aspect um, without losing that, that reactive element that defined Pekka. We all remember the glove and the stories about the glove where rebounds went to die, catching pucks everywhere, scooping them along the ice on low shots to take away rebounds, things like that. Like Tarasov has that, that next level of athletic ability. But from what I understand, He's further along in terms of understanding when it's time to just use his big body effectively versus time to react. Pekka wanted to react all the time. And Tarasov's a little more refined technically in terms of there are periods where you, and, and places on the ice where you can't react. And when you're as big as he is, you probably don't need to react. You just got to close the holes and take away as much space as possible. He has the size and the athleticism to do that. I, I've just been told that he's further along in, in terms of understanding where to and how to balance those two at the pro level well well it's it's going to be interesting because they've got a glut uh down there vaney vavalainen will be back next year one assumes matisse kivleniex looked uh pretty good this year in the nhl getting his first taste of that do they, do that, they pay do they pay the play-by-play guys on radio and tv more just to deal with the names of the goaltenders because <laughs> i would be like i didn't see i'm glad you mentioned those ones because i wasn't even going to try yeah, well, Steve Mason, we had Steve Mason for a few years, and we're paying for the, the price for that simple name now, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, um, an interesting wrinkle, and, and we've got a story posting uh, le- most likely later today. It could be up already. Uh, about the goaltending situation, they don't have to protect uh, Merzlikens in the expansion draft. He's exempt. They, See of that? course, don't want to ex- – what's that? I was going to say that's a big one right there. That's a big one. And they don't want to expose Corpy, obviously. 
But the one, so everybody needs a goaltender that they can uh, make available, and Kivleniak is that guy for them. So the, the awkward part now is going to be keeping Kivleniak, uh, Vany Vavalainen, and Daniil Tarasov happy at the AHL level next year because they're going to, you would have to think, keep Kivleniak around. Maybe they can find another AHL home for him, but keep him around on the roster so that he can be the dangle. That's where he's most useful for the Blue Jacks, perhaps. Uh, going forward. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining us. It was a great show, uh, very informative, and I uh, really appreciate you joining us. It's my pleasure. Anytime anyone is willing to listen to me ramble as long as I <laughs> rambled about the position of goaltending, like you you guys are the real stars today. So thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Um, thanks for putting up with me, and uh, anytime you need me again. Well, I'm sure the people listening are thinking, we don't have to listen to Portsline Ramble the whole time. This is fantastic. Uh, Allison, thanks for being with us, as always. Uh, anytime, of course. Tom, thanks for making your uh, twice-monthly appearance. No problem. <laughs> and we will be back with you all on Friday. Uh, thanks to our great, great producer, Adam Gracia. And we will talk to you guys again on Friday.